and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now... Let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Really excited to have you with us today for another great episode with a terrific guest. But before we get to him, I'd like to share a bit about myself. So I work as an executive coach and a mental performance coach. So I help leaders and I help performers maximize their potential and unlock different possibilities so that they can perform and live and lead the way that they aspire to. So I founded a company called Strong Skills and at Strong Skills, our team is on a mission to change how the world thinks about soft skills. See, we believe labeling competencies like leadership, teamwork, and communication as soft devalues and minimizes the importance of these skills. And today's guest actually talks about what it takes to build a championship. And I was kind of amazed by how many strong skills he labeled. He talked about leadership. He talked about teamwork and selflessness and communication, all of these skills that at Strong Skills, we believe we can teach people how to do. And one of the other strong skills that we teach is what we call shift your mind. And the teachings come from my book, which came out in October of 2020. If you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our past guests, then I know you're going to love the book. You can head over to Amazon or anywhere books are sold to purchase. And you can even listen to the audiobook via Audible. Thanks to all of you who have already purchased. And I really have been overwhelmed by the response the book continues to get. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your support. Lastly, one more item that you can help and support us here at the Intentional Performers Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode or any of our previous conversations, it would mean the world to us if you went over to iTunes and wrote us a review. It really does help expand the reach of the podcast. And thanks to all of you who have already done so. And let's continue to share these intentional performers with the world. Maybe it's a text, an email, sending this conversation to someone who you think would enjoy it and benefit from listening to it. Now to today's guest. So Scott Drew is the head men's basketball coach at Baylor University. And this conversation is wide ranging. We talk about faith a lot. Coach Drew talks about faith in almost every conversation he has with people. And you're going to hear that spew out of him. He also talks a lot 
about leadership. He talks a lot about character and what he's looking for in his program. And he talks about culture a whole heck of a lot in this conversation. And Coach Drew began his overhaul at Baylor in 2003 when he took over a program that was decimated by tragedy, player departures, a depleted roster, and NCA restrictions. He was slow and methodical in the process in which he went about to turn the program around, and we got into that in this conversation. He really tried to recruit a solid foundation of talented high school players and also really focused on who would who would align and fit with what they were trying to do at Baylor. Fast forward to almost 20 years later, and Baylor has become a contender almost annually. They won a national championship. They are constantly at the top of the rankings and in their conference, the Big 12, they are a perennial contender. So he had really built a program at Baylor that was on the verge of not even existing because of some of the hardships and the challenges and the messiness to use a blunt and probably accurate term to describe the program that he inherited. So we're going to talk a little bit about his upbringing, his family in this conversation. We're also going to really focus in on why he's so positive, how he sees the world. And at his core, he is an optimist. He doesn't hold back or mince words to describe himself as a Christian. And he's also a coach. This is someone who really does care about developing people and creating a culture that is championship level on multiple fronts. So here is Baylor men's basketball coach, Scott Drew. Coach, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Big shout out to Jamie and Christian for connecting the two of us. Jamie is a podcast guest, but also a friend and, and someone who I'm really excited to see what's next for him. Um, but as we were talking before we hit record, I just kept hearing this word, which was appreciate you. I appreciate you. Talk about appreciation. How do you leverage appreciation for yourself, for the people around you, uh, in your culture, in your program? Uh, I'd, I'd be curious to learn more about appreciation. Well, I, I, I think in life uh, uh, so often, um, I think Ernie Johnson uh, uh, talked to uh, uh, one of the football teams is Alabama and it, it wasn't a, a got to, it's a get to job and you get to do this. And so often life is about perspective and, and we get bogged down with everything we have to do. And it's really just a matter of how you look at it, the glass half full or half empty. I'm a half full guy and uh, uh, just appreciate uh, uh, when people uh, um, give us opportunities to serve, uh, grateful for those opportunities and uh, uh, thankful when people treat you right. So uh, the more we can be grateful in life, uh, I don't know if it uh, uh, goes hand in hand with a longer life or a longer longevity, but I know people say how you view life sometimes determines how long you live. And uh, um, there's no reason to put stress on uh, uh, things being negative when, when really it's just how you look at them or how you perceive them. I often say it's hard to be grateful and stressed at the same time. And uh, yeah. I, I just had my dad on the podcast. So you have a, you're, you have a tough act to follow here. And he talked about optimism and he actually said the same thing. He said, I feel like I'm going to live longer if I'm optimistic. And there is some research to back up gratitude and optimism correlated to living longer um, and, and yeah. health. Um, but I asked my dad a question that I'm going to ask you. Does anyone ever think that you're a naive optimist? Do they ever say, hey, you're like, 
what are you talking about half full? This is a disaster. Mm-hmm. And what are you talking about coach? And, and yeah. especially in your role, because your job, you kind of have to go back and forth, right? Oh, we're not good enough. Oh, you know, we need to get better. We need to improve. Yeah. There needs to be like a little bit of pessimism, but then how do you, how do you go back and forth between how do you balance it? Right. Pessimism? Yeah. Yeah. There's always, there's always tension in everything we do. And uh, um, if you're, if you're always, uh, if you, if you're not striving, uh, to get better, then you're probably getting worse. Um, so it's an equal balance with that. It's just, uh, yeah, however your dad answered, I would probably second that because I know he's wiser than both of us. So, uh, I'm going with that. Uh, but as far as, uh, I think when you are successful and God's given us a platform where we have been successful, uh, it gives you more credibility, to not saying this is the only way because in coaching and in everything in life, I, I use the analogy uh, 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 like two plus two equals four, three plus one equals four, four plus O equals four, um, six minus two equals four. I mean, there's a million ways to get to four. It, one way is not the only way. So uh, this is just how we choose to do it or uh, uh, our team chooses to do it in, in this season. Um, so uh, I think, uh, when you, when you, when you are successful, uh, and your platform is bigger, uh, people don't question that, uh, um, or say, well, you're naive, or is that really not going to work how you're looking at it? Cause how we've done the last three years, we've been ranked number one, only us in Gonzaga have done that. Uh, we, we have enough street cred where, uh, maybe that way does work. Um, for me personally, uh, we know life is short. You got 80 years if you're if, if you're lucky on this on this earth, because what males is 76 average. And um, with it, if you if you only got a short time here, uh, let's make it enjoyable and uh, um, make it pleasing for as many other people as possible. And that's where we I know we're getting into uh, the road to joy, the book that we just had come out. But really, the perspective of we've always been a Christ Center program. Baylor's the largest Baptist school in the nation. We believe in preparing champions for life. That's academic, it's spiritual, it's character formation, and it's athletic success. And uh, if you're right off the court, usually you're right on the court. And so with us, uh, if you if you have uh, joy, and that's Jesus, others, yourself. But if you're if you're doing things for others, um, that's it makes it a lot easier to do. I mean, you'll do things for your mom and dad that you won't do for yourself. And you'll do things for your, 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 your kids that you won't do or your wife you won't do for yourself. Uh, and when, you, when you're constantly putting others before you, um, it gives a greater fulfillment and uh, a determination in a lot of times. All right, let's stay there. So what I've found when I coach people is sometimes they're great at helping others, but they don't always put their own oxygen mask on. And so mm. they're great at helping others get in shape, but maybe they're not in shape. Or they're mm-hmm. great at being there to, you know, have grace towards people, but they're not always giving themselves that same grace. Coaches, I think, are often very guilty of this. We see coaches mm-hmm. that are unhealthy, that have marriages that are failing. We see coaches that, and just like any other human, business leaders, CEOs. Yeah. Um, for you, how do you make sure that your oxygen mask is flowing and that, you know, you're in a place that you can take care of and help other people and serve them? How do you serve yourself to ensure that you're healthy and, and humming and ripping and, and doing what you need to do? Great question. Um, and, and, uh, to start with, uh, I know, uh, 
you have to have a wife that uh, uh, understands your calling and is supporting, supportive of your calling. Uh, there's no way I would be able to do what I do without her um, taking care of our kids and, and raising them and uh, uh, trusting her and her trusting me. And uh, with that, I know uh, Christian, non-Christian, about 50% of marriages end in divorce. And uh, I think 83% of the uh, percent of NBA marriages end in divorce. And uh, the one stat that really always has stood out to me is um, I've heard one out of 1,052 couples get divorced. Uh, that pray together. So you pray together, you stay together. If you can have that discipline of prayer, uh, um, I like my odds one of 1,052, a lot better than 50-50. Second of all, it's who you surround yourself with. And that's why with me, I've never tried to say, uh, let's hire the staff that's the best coaches or the best recruiters, kind of like players. We never just get the most talented players. We get who fits our culture fits us the best uh, um, with, with us. I spend more time with our assistant coaches and staff than I do my own family. And, and that's, I mean, most of us work more than eight hour days. And if you're working 10, 12 hours and you're sleeping uh, uh, eight, nine, 10, seven or whatever, I mean, and your kids are sleeping, 10, you're, you're spending so much time at work and traveling Um with our, because we're always on the road recruiting or playing games. And so I want to surround myself with uh, iron sharpens iron um, people that make me better, make me better spiritually, make me better character wise, make me better husband, better father. Um, We just had uh, one of our coaches, coach Tang, we're together for 19 years and he used to call it, uh, I love doing life with you. And um, that's, uh, we always tell young people who you hang with is who you are because over time, um, uh, everyone, if, if, if they're either bringing you up or bringing you down and you want to be around people that are making you better, not making you worse. And, um, with, with, with me, that's, that's, that's how I fill my tank, um, and, and make sure that I'm, I'm ready to go now. Uh, uh, spiritually, I, I mean, we'll do a coach's Bible study, uh, once a week during season, we'll have chapel services. Um, we start every meeting in prayer, just trying to make sure we have the right focus godly wisdom. Um, and at the same time, uh, uh, I know we would always rather see a lesson than hear a lesson. So surrounding ourselves with coaches that uh, make us better. And, and again, there's a lot of ways to get to four. I'm just telling you how we get to four. Um, we have no cussing policy in practice and, uh, we have a lot of kids that come to practice and games and we don't want them learning a different vocabulary. So, uh, just things that we try to conduct and do and, that's not saying none of us cuss because we all got pushups at times. We know we all all saved by grace. Um, but that's, that's how we kind of do things. Your family is fascinating and we'll probably get into it uh, about them, but faith, was that something that, you know, you had as a kid that was poured into you by, by your family or where does that, I mean, you mentioned some element of faith, you know, we're a few minutes in here and it's been a lot on your faith and how it aligns with Baylor and how it aligns with the program you're building and how it's foundational for you. Where did you develop that faith? Great question. Uh, I was born in a Christian home. So in second grade, uh, accepted Christ. Uh, and, and like many others, you, you, you live life. And then at some point it, you, you develop more personal relationship. And to me, it was when I coached on two athletes in action tours overseas and 
Um, to be honest, up to that point, uh, uh, I didn't read the Bible uh, on a regular basis. Never really memorized scripture. I mean, uh, you'd have uh, John three sixteen, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians four thirteen, a couple verses memorized. But uh, it was after those uh, trips that uh, um, I, I kind of back in the day I always thought that uh, uh, we're in school. Teacher's grade on a curve. God's got a grade on a curve, right? Somebody's got to get to heaven. And if I go to church more, curse less, do live a little bit better, I, I'm sure He wants me up there. And then you realize you get into all the sins, lust, greed, malice, jealousy, envy, and you know that uh, you're only saved by grace and through your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for us. It's a free gift. You can choose to take it or not. But at that point, my personal relationship grew. And uh, obviously, uh, uh, spiritually, the great thing about podcasts is you can be fed a lot of ways. And there's so many good uh, uh, spiritual podcast pastors out there, sermons out there. Um, and that's when my my faith came into its own. And again, all, all our coaching staff, uh, 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 encourage each other. Um, and we, we, we run our chapel services, um, before NBAs, uh, before our games, just like the NBA does. And we'll have 10, 15 minute chapel service with, uh, our team. And those are some of my, my, uh, best memories of coaching at, at Baylor. I mean, those have been phenomenal experiences. If you weren't coaching basketball, what would you be doing? Uh, that's a great question. I tell you, I, I, I love uh, announcing like uh, uh, broadcasting and just uh, bringing excitement and joy and hype into the game. And uh, I like bragging about players and coaches and uh, we all get criticized enough. Um, so, uh, you know, this year we, we lost and uh, I did uh, uh, the NCAA tournament in studios and it's amazing. Once you lose, then you get on TV and you're an expert. I kind of like that. <laughs> It's interesting. Speaking of an analyst, I pulled up a quote from Fran Fraschilla, who I know and have spent some time with. Great guy. Um, and he said, people said early on, he's a phony. He's a charlatan. But the more you see it, you know, it's real stuff. He's like that Sunday school preacher, but he believes what he's preaching. Optimism with him is like breathing. Huh. That's a heck of a quote. Fran is deep, man. Fran is really good. He's done so much for the Big 12, but he's also done so much for uh, me personally over the years because he'll come watch practice and uh, he's a coach's coach, meaning uh, he'll offer suggestions, ideas, and uh, you really respect what he says because he's really knowledgeable and he cares and he wants everyone to be successful, which I love. I mean, um, and and hopefully uh, he's with USA three on three basketball. Hopefully uh, they do really well. And, and uh, I know with him running it, they will. So I love Fran too, but the purpose of me bringing that quote up was not for you to talk about Fran. It was to bring it back. It was to, it was to bring it back to you. And so I, I, I'm curious because if this was 50 years ago and you're delivering this message, I don't think anyone's blinking an eye. But in 2022, when you're referencing faith as much as you are, and the numbers on yeah. people and their relationship with religion at least in this country is that they're actually going the other direction yeah. and people are, are moving away from the church or really any organized religion, the data and the numbers are suggesting that people are actually moving away from it. 
and that word charlatan or phony or preachy or whatever word when you when you get described that way and Fran wasn't describing you that way but yeah, I'm yeah. sure others have others have said oh he's preachy or he's not genuine or or yada 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 and actually before we did this talk I asked some people about you they said he's a genuine dude and that's what Fran's saying in the in the quote which is why you're on the podcast but when people think that you're phony or fake or or charlatan if you hear that have you ever heard that noise how do you how do you filter it how do you yeah. deal with it well i think uh, uh for, first of all we're all human which means we'd rather be praised than criticized uh and even those that get criticized i'm sure uh they act like it doesn't bother them it, it does i mean you don't want to hear that you do a terrible podcast you want to hear you do a great podcast and uh i know with with me uh obviously coaches uh, don't hear all positive things all the time from people so uh, I try to uh, listen to those that uh, uh, I need to listen to. And then other than that, uh, at, at the end of the day, I know um, uh, spiritually uh, it, people all have their own journeys. Uh, usually when uh, their life's about to end is when um, that's what they want to know what the next step is. And if you're a Christian, you believe in the Bible, um, there's only one way to heaven. Uh, and that's through Jesus Christ. So it's either uh, you're going to heaven or you're not going to heaven. And again, that's no, we, we've, we've coached uh, uh, my first uh, uh, player at Baylor uh, was Mamadou GN and he was Muslim and uh, one of the most moral, devout, nicest guys. We call him the mayor of, of uh, Waco because everybody loves him. And uh, I never want to uh, uh, impose or make people feel uncomfortable uh but being at a christian school we're able to uh share christ and the gospel and do it in a way hopefully that doesn't make people um uh feel uh, negative or feel pressed uh, we've had some years as many as six players baptized and uh um uh some years uh none and uh again i think it's you get to pick and choose uh a lot in life what you want to do um, but when we all meet our maker, uh, it's either going up or down and, uh, I prefer up. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, I say all that humbly to just say, uh, uh, again, if I was at a, a school that didn't allow you to talk, uh, um, about your faith, then that's why actions are so important too. Cause, uh, at the end of the day, you'd always rather see, uh, uh a lesson rather than hear it. And I mean, the, teacher, what's the greatest commandment of the law? Love your God with all your heart, love uh, your neighbors, yourself. I mean, you got to treat people uh, with respect. I mean, the Bible says to do that. You want to be retreated with respect. And uh, I pride myself on trying to be a servant leader and our staff tries to be servant leaders. So hopefully we're treating people right. And uh, because of that, they want to know more about us and why we do and how we do what we do. You talk a lot about meeting your maker in the future. I'm curious if we go the other direction. How important is legacy and leaving a legacy for you uh, personally? Mm -hmm. Is that something you think about and, and what you'll leave here uh, mm -hmm. when, when, it's time, when it's time to go? Like everybody, uh, you, you want to feel like you made a difference. Um, for me personally, like right now, we have Macy Oteague, Davion Mitchell, Jared Butler just came through the gym and uh, Devante Bandu and our past players come home. It's kind of like, uh, probably grandchildren for most people out there. Um, that's, it doesn't get any better than that. Cause 
that means they like being here and they want to come back when they don't have to come back. Yeah. Why are uh, they, why are they in Waco, Texas? Right? Like let's, let's just go there for a second. Nothing against Waco, Texas, but, but they're, they're, you're not USC. This is not LA. You're not Miami. You're not Georgia tech. You're not, you know, St. John's in New York city. Uh, I mean, you're in Waco, Texas, and you're telling me that these guys are coming back in the off season and yeah. for NBA guys, and, and some of them are, you know, some players are still playing, but this is a time of year where they usually can separate. This is the time of year when we start in the summer where they do a lot of skill development. NBA teams have gotten so much better at skill development. They yeah. can send coaches to help develop individual players. A lot of them have development plans. And I don't think people realize how much better the NBA has gotten when it comes to skill development, but it, it really is. You can see it on the floor. If you watch the NBA yeah. game, these guys are so yeah. skilled. Um, but why are they coming back? Why are they coming back? What do you think the draw is? Well, because they like being back because they like, uh, uh, why do you go visit your relatives no matter where they live? I mean, uh, it, wherever it is, and and you can have a five million dollar house, but if you don't like the people inside it, you don't want to go back to that house. And people don't come back to buildings; they come back to people. So the fact that they come back means that they like being around uh, here and the culture. And that, again, that makes you like a proud parent. You're just excited uh, for that. At the same time, uh, we have great facilities. They come back. They work out. Uh, they don't just come back and sit in the office and talk the whole day. They, they, they usually spend about four to six hours in the gym and uh, that's our culture. We have a lot of guys that you call boring, but uh, when they come to college, their goal is to maybe uh, get to the NBA is what most of them have, but who puts in the work to get there. And we got a lot of workers. We got a lot of grinders, people that love to be in the gym. So uh, they come back, work out with each other, hang out together, visit with us. Uh, we're not LA, we're not Miami, we're not New York. Uh, but, but we do have a lab and it's being used. (laughs) You've mentioned culture a bunch on, on this podcast and you've described it in bits, but it has, I haven't heard it clearly articulated. Mm -hmm. And for me, culture is a word that every organization uses because every organization has, Um, But I've always boiled it, not always, but I've come to understand these three elements of it, that culture is the worst behavior that you actually tolerate because you Mm -hmm. said humans are imperfect. So there's got to be poor behavior that we don't like, but maybe we'll tolerate Mm -hmm. at our, in our organization. Mm -hmm. And we're still going to try to grow and develop that, that behavior. Um, The worst behavior we won't tolerate. So every organization has bad behavior that they say, Hey, you've crossed a line and we can't have that here. And you got to go somewhere else. Um, And then the behavior that we celebrate. And so for you, maybe we can go through those. Like what is the worst behavior that you believe maybe you'll tolerate and you'll stay with somebody a little longer to try to help them Mm -hmm. grow in that area. Maybe we answer that one Mm -hmm. first. Then I'd love to go to the other part where it's like, Hey, what's something that, you know, it's just not going to work at your university and maybe it'll work somewhere else, but at our university and our program is not going to work. And then I'd love to end with what you celebrate. So let's start with what's maybe behavior that is not ideal, but Hey, we're going to give you another chance here. Um, Let's start with that one. Well, well, everyone has school rules and policies. So if you can't abide by the school rules and policies, you can't stay here. Um, so now it comes down to, if you can abide by the rules, what do we look for? And with us, uh, uh, we call it a culture of joy, but basically it's that servant attitude. It's putting other people 
before yourself. I mean, the why is last, you're third. And if you're uh, not an ego guy, uh, um, a hard worker, um, a great teammate, um, you're going to thrive in our environment. If you're somebody that you're me, myself, and I, and it's all about you, I mean, it, it takes a team to win. And um, at the end of the game, they don't say one person won. Uh, Giannis didn't win. The Bucks won. So uh, it, it, those are the guys we're looking for as far as um, behavior, probably more in, in the heart in practice, meaning if they're, if they're being a great teammate, they're being coachable. If they're being a great teammate, they're acknowledging their teammates, they're lifting them up, they're building them up. They're not uh, uh, fighting with them, arguing with them, um, tearing them down. Uh, they're giving love. Um, so, like, players come in, and, and if we've done our job on the, on the beginning end of things, we know that they, they have the characteristics we're looking for, but everybody's on that different, different spectrum. I mean, some of them are, if 10 is the best teammate, some might be a three or a four. So now when we recruited them, did we recruit them because we thought we had the heart to help make them a seven or eight? Or did we just miss? And you know what? They're not going to be great for our culture, our team, because they're not great we guys. And we use the word we a, a lot. We don't use I very much. And uh, I mean, so those are it, it, it's sometimes I was talking to the NBA scout a second ago and everyone's got analytics statistics. We have all team rules, policies, but it's hard to put chemistry and rate it. You know, like that person is a great teammate or the chemistry of this team rates out at this. But that's our job as, as coaches is to have a pulse of the chemistry and who would fit in. And similar to you, you probably have to do your due diligence before you have a guest on your podcast. And this is someone uh, that that I want to have that will help my podcast. Or is this what areas am I willing to not put up with? To, and, and it's not worth having this person on. So I guess I, I don't know if that um, uh, we, we always like to tell them, tell our players, our team rule, don't do anything to embarrass uh, your pastor, your mom, your grandma, your coach, uh, your school. I mean, it, it's broad, but uh, if there's four people in a room and one outside, you know, you're outside, you got to get in the room. And we, we want a team full of guys in the room. Um, as far as does that answer it specific enough or not? Because yeah. I don't know if, if I can break down every exact, yeah. rule, but it's, it, it's basically, again, if, if genuine, I love positive, you love, uh, 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 those guys that work hard, you love, um, when you have an lazy energy, you, guys, you have yeah. an energy, you have an energy to you. Um, and your team plays with an energy, a enthusiasm, a, maybe grit uh, would be words that just observationally that, that you see. Um, but I'm, I'm also curious about this because we haven't talked about your history here at Baylor. I mean, we're coming up on what, like 20th year of you yeah. at Baylor. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, first of all, there aren't many coaches who are anywhere for 20 years. And then when we think about where you started, I mean, it, cause I could hear someone's not being so aware of what it was like when you first got there and saying, well, mm -hmm. yeah, like coach, 
he, he just won a championship. So now he can pick the best in class and get guys mm-hmm. that can play, but are also great kids. And, but like that definitely wasn't the case when you first yeah. got there. And so I'm curious what you learned along the way, because I'm sure mm-hmm. there were times where maybe you said, Hey, this kid's really talented. Maybe we'll yeah. sacrifice some of the cultural elements because we have to, we don't have a choice right. or maybe the opposite. Hey, this kid might not be talented enough, but we like mm-hmm. his makeup. So we're going to maybe give him an opportunity because I think where mm-hmm. you've been is where most people are. There aren't that many people mm-hmm. that are where you're at. So for the sake mm-hmm. of our conversation, I'd love to know, Hey, those first few years when you're trying to build this thing, what did you maybe have to sacrifice? That's probably too strong of a word, but uh, mm-hmm. be flexible with. And, and when you're in the mm-hmm. building process, how did you, cultivate this to get to a point years later where now, okay, they're a powerhouse. Um, and they're, they're mm-hmm. able to be a little more maybe strategic with who they bring in. Mm-hmm. So talk about the building. Yeah. So, so, uh, the, like you said, going on year 20, so most people we recruit weren't born when we got here. And, uh, with that, the first couple of years, we had literally five to seven guys on scholarship. Uh, don't think we had a, we didn't, it went until year four where we had uh, really a full season, full roster, and everything was was, was starting to get close to normal. Um, year three, we had just a, a, a non-conference was taken away. We just had a conference schedule. Year five, we go to the NCAA tournament. So if you go into a game with five to seven scholarship players, uh, that means half your team's made up of walk-ons. And at Baylor, it's about $63,000 a year. So most of our walk-ons are 5'10", 5'11". We're not getting a lot of 6'7 walk-ons here, 6'9 uh, walk-ons. So it, it was – we had to accumulate talent. And to accumulate talent, sometimes you had to take people that either were more talented and less maybe character, more character and less talent. And then the longer you're at a place, um, the more you're able to do a better job researching guys – uh, to find out if you've known someone for three years, you have a better idea, know who they are rather than one month or a couple of weeks. And we had so many guys to recruit in such a short time. We took the job in August. So basically a lot of the players had already signed and I, we can't thank the guys in those early years that came in and, and, and laid the foundation uh, for what we did. And we've always uh, tried to take character over talent. Um, but over time you're able to get both obviously. And that, that helps because now you're getting players that are elite athletes and, uh, they have the work ethic character teammate that fit your culture. And, and that's, that's how you win it all. Um, as far as, uh, uh, in life, I think everybody does have uh, in real terms, it's, it's kind of like me, I remember Dayton what do you prioritize? Do you, do you want a good looking? Do you want uh, uh, an intelligent, you want a hardworking uh, wife? Do you want a Christian wife? And then based on how you put your priorities, um, that's what you're going to, you're going to look for the most. And if I want a Christian first and foremost, or I want uh, uh, an intelligent first or foremost, or I want a hair uh, high character, someone that I can trust to raise our kids first or foremost, or uh, I, I want just the best looking girl that I can date. I, I mean, you rate that and then, and you do that in, in recruiting. I mean, who has the most potential, the most upside um, uh, or 
you know what, this person's two inches too short. Um, they're not athletic enough, but you know what, they really produce a lot. And they might not make the NBA, but they're going to win a ton of college games. Um, or this is someone I want to coach or I want to be in the trenches with. Um, so I think, again, everyone has to prioritize what's important to them. In a perfect world, you you marry someone that has everything that you want. You recruit um, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, but there's not uh, all those guys out there. So now do you recruit the athlete of Kobe and Michael but doesn't have the work ethic or character? Or do you take the character and work ethic of Michael and Kobe with a little less talent and that's what's great about life. You get to make those choices. It's interesting. I just had a conversation with a professional uh, sport. I'm not going to mention the sport of the team, but a general manager of a professional sport and professional team. And we were talking about when you're evaluating players for the draft, let's just use basketball as an example. Wingspan is a big deal to play basketball mm -hmm. at any level. Um, and we we're actually talking about like Desmond Bain, for example, doesn't have a long wingspan, but the guy is just bawling. I mean, we're recording this after the Grizzlies just won against the Warriors and without John Moran, I mean, it was pretty remarkable. And, and Desmond Bain, a lot of teams didn't yeah. draft. They passed right. up on him and he clearly is a great basketball player. And it was interesting. This general manager said, yeah, if you have a quality that you really value and that person doesn't have it, then we have to look at their other qualities. And if they're elite at those other qualities, then they can overcome that quality that's lacking. And so you have right. to get really thoughtful about what are the qualities that we look for. And yeah. what, one of the mistakes that I think people make is they say, well, he doesn't have a long wingspan, so he can't play. Or mm -hmm. I have no idea if Kenny Pickett is going to be good in the NFL, but we just saw it in the NFL where they're like, his hands are too small, so he's not going to be good enough because mm. all the mm. previous quarterbacks had large hands. And you're like, well, just watch him throw the football. Like that's yeah. ultimately what matters. But to me, what I thought was interesting that his general manager said was, let's just use Kenny Pickett as an example. If he checks off all those other markers, then yeah, they can overcome that. But if he has this deficiency plus this other deficiency, now you're running into less right. likely that the person's going to be successful. And you mentioned potential at the end of the day, that's what we're all in is like, all right, how likely is it that this person's going to become what we think they're capable of becoming? Potential. And right. so mm -hmm. um, it's interesting that you've been in that, in that world. Um, let's talk about dad and your brother um, for people my age. I mean, your brother's shot is, is mm -hmm. obviously top of mind. Uh, mm -hmm. And when I did some research on this, it was interesting because it sounded like you were a basketball player in high school. And then you said, you know mm -hmm. what? Tennis is probably the mm -hmm. sport that I'm more likely to be successful at. So I'm going to go tennis. And then your brother, of course, was an outstanding basketball player. And then mm -hmm. you have your dad, who's this legendary coach. So talk mm -hmm. about your family and anyone else in your family that had a big influence mm -hmm. and impact on your journey and your path. Well, the, the one thing uh, before we jump to the family even colleges we miss on recruits, NBA, NFL miss on, 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 on draft picks because nobody can measure the heart. And at the end of the day, um, per, per people's drive and work ethic. And, and we know things, things change uh, uh, over time as well. And what I mean by that is um, once, once, players have arrived do they still have that drive do they still have that heart do they still have that work ethic and 
And that all comes, it, it can be roadblocks to help them get to their potential or not. But it always makes me feel better when we miss on a recruit and to know, you know, the NBA misses and they have a lot more data and a lot more opportunities to get it right than us. So uh, it's kind of like picking stocks. You do your best, but uh, there's no perfect uh, uh, way out there. As far as my family, I was blessed. My dad was a uh, 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 a college coach at LSU from 72 to 76. My mom tells the story. He came home one night. Um, I'm the oldest and my sister, then my brother. And we thought that there was a, a, a burglar in the house because he was gone like 156 nights with hotel receipts because there's no recruiting rules. So thank goodness the NCAA's put in some recruiting rules so we can actually have families and see them. Uh, but he, he went to a small uh, a Christian school in uh, um, Mishawaka called Bethel College. And then from there, as we got older and and he was able to uh, um, his gym was our playground. So it was a great playground. And then we got older. Then he went to Valparaiso University. But he was on the fast track to be a division one coach at an early age. And he gave that up for us. And I know how uh, uh, hard that must have been because being in the profession uh, to be that close and then to 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 walk away or take a step down. Um, she just shows what kind of man he is. Uh, as far as um, my my brother was Mr. Basketball in Indiana, had his jersey retired. My sister uh, was Converse player of the state, uh, and brother was 16th draft pick, played six years in the league. And God has a plan for us all. Uh, me, I was five one and a half my sophomore year, and at that point, I realized at five one and a half, I'm not Muggsy Bogues. I'm probably not going to the league. But the good thing is. Uh, uh, I, I grew later in life, but you always, I always had a passion for, for coaching. So I actually started coaching uh, uh, my brother's summer team, my sister's summer team, uh, always worked my dad's camps. My dad always involved us with recruiting, went to Butler and, and was able to learn from Jay John and Thad Mata and Barry Collier was the head coach at that time, some great coaches. So when I graduated, I was able to come back and uh, worked for my dad at that point they had this restricted earnings coaches rule in there and you couldn't make over 16.5 well at Valpo we could only pay 600 a month so he had to hire me because I was the only one that could live at his house so uh, <laughs> so I did that for a year and then they had a, a coaching change and I was be able to come full-time so I was one of the youngest uh, full-time assistants out there and uh, learned a lot uh, uh, in those early years and then took over for one year came to Baylor and this kind of goes back to your other question. In those early years, not a lot of pressure when you only have half a roster. But how I how I learned was not only from my dad for 10 plus years, but when you're going against the Rick Barnes, the Bob Knights, the Eddie Suttons, uh, the Kelvin Sampsons of the world, uh, you 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 improve in, in, in a, at a rapid rate. And I thought that really helped me. Um, become the coach that uh, uh, I am today. And uh, head coaches are only as good as their staff. So I always try to hire people that are smarter than me, and that's not hard to do, and then uh, bring in great players. So if you got uh, 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 those two things and you have an administration that gives you everything you need to be successful, you got a much better chance of being successful. Speaking of success, my dad also very successful. And so people always pull me aside and be like, I love your dad. Like, he's great. Um, or, you know, this is Bruce's son. And, and it's interesting. I sometimes get asked, like, do you feel like there's a shadow or 
um, mm-hmm. you know, how, how does that make you feel? I'm like, no, nah, I feel like I, I'm the luckiest person in the world. Like I've had mm-hmm. a hall of fame dad. Um, and he also is hall of fame in business and, you know, like, it's awesome. I, I've never felt like I need to be him or compete with him or um, be more successful than him. It's, it's more of like a role model. Uh, How do you think about that with your relationship with your dad, uh, especially being in the same industry? Mm -hmm. Great, great question. And, and I wouldn't be where I'm at without my dad, hall of fame coach taught me everything I know at, at the same time. I think one of the greatest uh, uh, a sign of respects a son can show his dad is to follow in his profession. That means obviously he did something right as a dad, because if he was a great coach, but you hated how he was a father, you're not following that profession. And uh, the fact that I wanted to go into coaching uh, shows that I respected how he and what he did, uh, not only as a coach, but as a father. And, And then being an assistant coach for your dad. Um, I remember this, uh, Jim Herrick's son was at Reebok and ran Reebok and he worked for us at, at, with us at Valpo for a year. And then he left and went and worked with his dad and uh, uh, coach Herrick who won a championship. He was at Rhode Island at the time, but I remember he called back and he said, man, I had no idea what you went through. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, when you're an assistant coach for your dad, it's like you're the head coach. Cause Every time he gets ripped on in the paper, every time he gets criticized, you take it harder than he does. So it's like being a head coach on steroids. And I think that really prepared me um, was all those years because there's no one you would want to work harder for than family. And there's, again, that, 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 that joy, Jesus, others, yourself, if you're putting others in front of you, it's, it's you're always going to be successful, but when it's your own father, it's a little easier to put him in front of you. You know, um, I'm sure you'd do anything for your parents, you know, and same with, the uh, with me. Do you think if you were six, one as a sophomore in high school, you would be a better coach or worse coach or the same coach? Great question. I think here's, uh, uh, if I was, if I would have been six, one, I'd have probably been a D two D three NAI player. And from there, I, wouldn't have had the opportunity to gain the experience of coaching brother and sister forming their teams. I wouldn't have learned under Barry and Jay and Thad, and I probably wouldn't, uh, uh, probably wouldn't have been hired by my dad and probably been a division two division three coach. And there's nothing wrong with that, but, uh, God had a different plan for me. And, uh, uh, again, most people want to play over coach because, a coach, like you said, our job is to get everybody in shape, make them look great. <laughs> and everyone would rather look great than be the guy making other people look great, right? So um, that's why uh, uh, I remember we had a player uh, who we hired from Notre Dame at Valpo, and he worked for one month. And after that, he's like, I'm going back to play. And he played like for eight more years overseas. He's like, forget this. <laughs> why am I, why am I worried about everyone else being in shape? I want to look good and be in shape. I want to get on the, uh, uh, it's a lot better to play the game than coach it. But, uh, again, God, God makes us all different. And, uh, definitely was his plan. Uh, I questioned it, uh, and thought God was a little off sophomore year. I'm like, can't you throw a couple more inches my way? <laughs> I was, I was a short, short guy as well. So that resonates with me. I'm still a short guy and never got my growth spurt, but um, I want to close just at least hitting on championship 
And when I say championship, I think we can think about winning an NCAA championship, but you also won an NIT championship. You also had a canceled season where I think you all were 26 and four due to COVID. So that's probably a championship type team. Um, and I think often we just think of the outcome and then we label someone a champion, but champions happen way before you get labeled a champion. Um, so I'm curious for you, when you think about what makes a championship team, uh, what comes to mind for you? First, you have to be, you have to be blessed. And what I mean by that is uh, a lot of people call it uh, luck. I mean, injuries affect us all. And I take this year, for instance, uh, at the beginning of the year, we lose Langston Love to a torn ACL, and he had 13 points in a scrimmage against uh, uh, A&M. Then halfway through the year, we lose LJ Cryer, who was our leading scorer. And then co-defensive player of the year, Jonathan Chamuchachua, we lose. So um, if, you, if you're the Celtics and you take out Marcus Smart, uh, uh, Tatum, and then pick another one in the rotation, it affects you. And we're 15-0, and 0, and I I thought we could have won a championship this year. The year before, we win the championship, and we didn't have any season-ending injuries. And so, I mean, I don't know if uh, uh, if Kobe's not with the Lakers one year, do they win one of those championships? If Michael's not with the Bulls one of those years, do they not win the championship? Because Phil Jackson was a heck of a coach. But when Michael was playing baseball, he wasn't as good a coach, you know. <laughs> and so, um, I mean, you you got to you got to be blessed. The second thing is uh, to win a championship, you have to have great chemistry. And you look at the NBA because we got the playoffs right now. Some teams, the year before they had it, and then this year it's not there. And like you can't you can't put a finger on it. But like sometimes people one year or love their roles. And the next year they want more and they weren't built for more. And that attitude changes and that affects the team. And uh, you have to have chemistry to, to win it all. And so normally you say you got to knock before you enter, but you, you have to have the right people on the bus to even have the bus move in a direction to win a championship. So if you got the right staff, you got the right players, then you have to be – blessed injury wise and then you have to have the chemistry and then the last thing I always put with that is you got to have a uh, the leadership and I don't know if there's ever been a team that won a championship that didn't have great leadership from the players and why it's important is coaches can be great leaders but if no one's following you're not getting anywhere so you have to have uh, uh, you don't know how the player leadership is going to be till after the season this will be my last question because I know we're running up against it but for you personally winning the NCAA championship, how did it change you, impact you from that point forward? You know, it wasn't lost on me that you said when I took over the Baylor job, one of the beauties of the job was that there wasn't a whole lot of pressure. Like I could, yeah. you know, we had five to seven guys. They knew, Hey, this is not a, it's going to be really hard to compete uh, with the, and, and you weren't even allowed to at certain, in certain ways. Um, as you think about winning that championship, has anything changed as far as, your feeling of secure security, which is often not a, a feeling for a lot of coaches. Um, did anything change as far as how you think about things going forward? Did it provide you with, with anything? Well, it's one last question people ask, can you win it all? <laughs> so, so yeah, we can, we have, we, we've done that. 
So uh, um, uh, the fact that we don't have to answer, can Baylor win a basketball championship? Uh, that's that's the biggest thing. As far as security goes, I'm, uh, Coach Dale Brown, uh, who my dad used to work for, uh, I remember sending out, I think, nine of 13 national champs got fired from their job. So uh, it, it, you're only as good as your last game in college coaching and then the NBA ranks and everything. So um, we understand that as coaches. So you don't necessarily always feel secure. You just get blessed with whatever opportunity you have. But uh, as far as uh, um, uh, me personally, I, I think I've realized that the, uh, the platform we've given and the, the opportunity or responsibility, that's why we wrote the book, The Road to Joy, um, because God's blessed our program. We wanted to share that. We wanted to share with the coaches and the players and the fans and uh, everyone that helped contribute to the championship, how we did it. Um, and hopefully it motivates and inspires people because everyone faces adversity. Uh, everybody has ups and downs. Uh, and it's how you respond and how you look uh, to those um, that, that, that make you successful or not. So, uh, again, life is short. We're going to, we're, we're going to be positive. Uh, we're going to be the cheerleaders. Um, and we're going to give everything we have. And if it's not good enough, at least you go to bed knowing you tried your best. So, uh, that's what we, what we try to do here. I think that's a good place for us to close coach. I know you're on Twitter at BU drew, and then the book is The Road to Joy. I'm actually looking at it right now on Amazon. You can get the book there. Anything else that you want to shout out, promote? Is there a nonprofit you're involved with or someone or something that you think deserves a megaphone? Well, you just got done with the, uh, the Dig Vital Gala and uh, pediatric cancer uh, coaches versus cancer, uh, the V Foundation. Uh, it's uh, amazing. Uh, a lot of times in life, you're a part of something, but you don't know, is it really making a difference? Um, and I was, uh, Bob Velvano was recording. Uh, he, he does radio one of our games. So we were meeting before to do the uh, interview before. And I said, tell me about your fight with cancer. And he says, well, I had stage four cancer. And uh, if it was before, like in his brother's time, he'd have been dead. But because of the cancer research and advances and money that's been raised, he's alive. And so many people are winning the fight versus cancer because of the donations people give and uh, uh, definitely a worthy cause. Thank you for that. Beautiful. I am on Twitter as well at Brian Levinson. LinkedIn is the other place I like to play at Brian Levinson. And you can listen to all these conversations, strongskills.co slash podcast. Coach, great to meet you. Great to get to know you. Uh, at some point, if you're in the Washington, D.C. area, I would love to meet up with you in a gym somewhere um, or break bread. Um, thanks for coming on the podcast and hopefully we talk again really soon. Hey, that sounds great. Thanks for having me. And if you get uh, tired of that cold weather in the winter, come on down here. <laughs> oh, you're in May. We're good now. It'll be, I'll, I'll call you in December. I'll make my way to December and January. All right. I, I'll be there. Thanks coach. Thank you for listening to intentional performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. We always tell young people who you hang with is who you are because over time, um, uh, everyone, if, if, they're either bringing you up or bringing you down and you want to be around people that are making you better, not making you worse. And, um, with, with, with me, that's, that's, that's how I fill my tank. Um, and, and make sure that I'm, I'm ready to go now. Uh, uh, spiritually, I, 
I mean, we'll do a coach's Bible study uh, once a week during season. We'll have chapel services. Um, we start every meeting in prayer, just trying to make sure we have the right focus, godly wisdom. Um, and at the same time, uh, uh, I know we would always rather see a lesson than hear a lesson. So surrounding ourselves with coaches that, that make us better. And, and again, there's a lot of ways to get to four. I'm just telling you how we get to four. Um, we have no cussing policy in practice. And, uh, we have a lot of kids that come to practice and games, and we don't want them learning the different vocabulary.